Uh, we're not in Matthew anymore, for those that have been following that. We're just going to take a little break, because it's Christmas. Oh, come on. Oh, it's like my favorite time of year. Anybody else? I mean, I, mean, I like Easter as well. Um, but Christmas is great. Uh, and because it's officially December, our tree is now up as of yesterday. Isn't putting a Christmas tree, it's meant to be this beautiful thing, isn't it? Where you do it with a family and the kids are putting baubles on it. It's so stressful. <laughs> it's about as stressful as that is. What, right, who's got an engineering degree? Jason's, you've got an honorary engineering degree from the University of Arcade. Can it go, can it go lower as well? Do you want to smile at the camera as well? Because you're going to be on the... There you go. For those on the podcast, Jason's got an engineering degree now because the um, stand broke. Anyway, putting up a Christmas tree with kids is stressful. It's meant to be fun. I've got my two-year-old throwing baubles at it, uh, trying to shake it so that everything falls off. And I don't know about you, you amass Christmas decorations over time. Some can be quite precious and delicate. Not great if you've got two, I mean, I don't have a dog or a cat. I imagine it's stressful with them as well. But young children putting up trees, nightmare. Um, and, and we always think, well, what's Christmas about? And I ask this of my kids, and the first thing they always say is getting presents. And you're like, oh, no, we're not doing our job very well, me and Grace, if she thinks that Christmas is about getting presents. But then we get on to, oh, yeah, it's about Jesus and him being born. And we say as Christians, I don't know if you've heard this say, it's, you know, Christmas is about Christ. You heard that? Or you've probably said it to people and you go, well, that's all well and good, Christmas being about Christ. You know, you go, well, we've got a historical record, we've got the Gospels, we've got three of them that say, well, this is when he was born and John's the one who doesn't talk about it, but the other three do say, well, this is when he was born and this happened as a historical account of something that really happened, the life and times of Jesus Christ, records of his life, his death, his miracles, and of course, his birth. But when we say, oh, Christmas is about Christ, or we, we say that to one another, a few questions swirl around in my head. And these three questions are just what I want to kind of have a quick stab at this morning. Just thinking as these kind of conversations may well happen over the Christmas period for you. And the questions that go into my head, and maybe it's because I, I think weirdly or not, is what is God doing? Think about it. The Christmas story, it's a bit weird. Seriously. It is, isn't it? If you actually think about it, the creator of the universe, who's always been, enters human history in the form of a baby. When you start thinking about it, it's like, what is God doing? And they're the kind of questions that actually, people that we're encountering, people in the world, they're the questions that are going to be asking, well, what is God doing? Why would God do that? Uh, why did Jesus come? Is he of one? What's, it's all well and good God doing it, but what's the point? And what does God get out of it? What does God accomplish by doing this? I can see how it's beneficial for me, but what does God accomplish by doing it? And that's what I'm going to attempt to answer in less than 20 something minutes. I was going to say 20 minutes, but that might be pushing it. So we'll see. Um, but first, I just want to read a little snippet of one of the historical accounts, just for some context. Um, obviously, this all takes place in the Middle East. 2,000 years ago, this is Luke chapter 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I read that bit and not the bit before, because in the bit before you've got a guy from Syria, um, called uh, the governor of Syria called Quirinius, and I was having trouble pronouncing it. So we've just gone for that bit. I think I did that perfectly, actually. Could have done it, never mind. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. So these three questions I just want to answer, if you want to make a log of them. The first one I just want to have a go is, what is God doing? And um, the word that sums all this up, or the theological term, if you like, is incarnation. And there's this great book, um, if you like reading, um, some stuff that's like, you know, about the Bible and about the Christian faith. There's this guy called Athanasius. I don't know if you've heard of him. And he was like this amazing Greek guy. I think the end of the second, start of the third century. And he wrote this amazing book. It's only small, and it's in language that even I can understand. So it would be perfect for everybody. This guy called Athanasius, who wrote a book called On the Incarnation. And um, if you can't remember anything else that I say today about incarnation and man become, you know, God becoming man and flesh, then have a, have a go at reading that. You can get it on Kindle. It's completely free as well. It's a bonus, isn't it? little free book, little plug for Athanasius there. He'll appreciate that, I'm sure. But it's called On the Incarnation. And literally, incarnation is a Latin word that means in flesh. And that's the only time I'm going to kind of give you any Latin or Greek this morning. But it means in flesh, that, um, which is what God does here. It's the Christian doctrine of God who is spirit... God is spirit taking on flesh, becoming a human in the person of Jesus. And chapters like John chapter 1, one of the chapters we get read out at Christmas, which we'll have at our carol service, which is going to be great next week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. A clue, the Word there is Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And 14 verses later, in the same chapter, it says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So this Word that's always been... This spirit that has always been becomes flesh and comes to dwell amongst us. And uh, John goes on to say, we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Literally, that's why we get the name Emmanuel, because it means God with us. God actually with us as a human being, understanding what it's like to be us understanding what it's like to go through the things that we're going to go through. And that's what God's doing. That's when, when you ask that question, you say, well, what is God doing? He's, he's, he's being eternal, and he's actually stepping into human history in the person of Jesus. And uh, through the virgin birth, through uh, Mary, into our world. And people object to that. People have questions in and around that. And even I have kind of, it's, it's something to get your head around, isn't it? This incarnation, God who has always been, the God who created everything, becoming a baby. It's quite, you know, it's quite taxing on the head, isn't it? In thinking about it. And uh, quite a few people have some uh, objections and things. And so a few things just occurred to me. First one is, yes, Jesus has always existed. Some, um, I'll use the word sects because they are, um, will say that actually he hasn't always existed, but he became when he, that's when he started as the son. 
But if you read John 1 there, it says, in the beginning was the word. Where else in the Bible does it say in the beginning? In the beginning, Genesis. So you've got this reflection going on that says, well, in the beginning, God. Oh, in the beginning was the word. It's the same thing. That God, Jesus, has always been the second, the Trinity has always been, and the second part of that Trinity being the Son. Therefore, the second part of the Trinity, Jesus, is eternal, has always been. He didn't just turn up 2,000 years ago as a baby in Bethlehem, and that was the first time he ever was. He's always been. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that he's eternal. Think that that's when he started, if you like. But actually, what we believe when we read the scriptures is that Jesus has always been. That the, the second person of the Trinity is eternal. An important distinction here is that God became man, not man became God. Often we, we have this thing going on, don't we, with, with Jesus where it's like he's both fully man and he's both fully God. And we either overemphasize or underemphasize one side of that. But it's important that God becomes man. It's important it's that way around in our thinking that it's not, this isn't, oh, just a bloke, you know, like me, because I'm just a bloke, becoming God. That's not what happens. God becomes man. I think it's Augustine that coined the, the phrase of Jesus adds humanity to himself. I think that's the best way of looking at it, really, that he's the eternal son in spirit and he adds humanity to himself. It's not as if uh, it's the other way around in, in some way. And... Um, a lot of the story of our world and the things that we want to achieve is godlike status, divine status. I've heard this, but you know, become one with yourself. Become one with the divine. Become this perfect specimen of yourself and achieve all these beautiful, wonderful things and you will be right with the world and everything will be beautiful and rainbows will, will shine. And actually, we, we, we kind of aim to become godlike, whether that's, a, I become godlike at this. Um, FIFA, for example, which isn't too difficult for me. Quite easy to beat Mr. Sam Lomas at that game. Or at work to become this awesome machine that can do everything, or a player, whatever, whatever it is that I do, that somehow um, we can become more than we are. And the importance of incarnation and this word and this idea is that actually it's about God becoming man, not man becoming God. It's not about us becoming God, it's about God becoming man. You see, we've got a problem if it's about us becoming God, because we ain't ever going to make it, Right? We're just not going to. But if it's about God becoming man, then that's different. It means pride goes out the window. And it means humility comes in its place. You see, the Christmas story is not God. It is in a sense, but not primarily God showing us what it means to be God. But it's, it's God actually becoming a man and showing us, actually, he loves us coming down to rescue us, which is the whole Christmas story, isn't it? It's so often we have Christmas and then we have Easter. Just view it as one story. It's a continuum of God's love and grace for us, that he just loves us. Actually, it's not for us to try and become like God, but God becomes man. And yes, he is both fully man and fully God in that. Not something that we attain or something that we do. We're just fully man. But Jesus didn't cease being God when he became a man. That's important we know that as well. He doesn't stop being God. He doesn't switch it off. He's not, he's not any less God. He's still God, 
rather added humanity unto himself. And obviously, as you add humanity unto yourself, there's certain limitations to that. For example, I don't know if you know this, I can't be in more than one place at one time. Can you? I just can't do it. As much as I want to be able to, I can't. I'm physically in one place, and that's where I'm going to be. The same was true of Jesus in his human form. He couldn't be in Bethlehem and Nazareth at the same time. Hence, he walks around a lot. He goes from town to town. He sees lots of people. He's both fully God and fully man. He said it himself. Jesus says repeatedly, I'm God. He does. He says, if you've seen me, You've seen who? The Father. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm God. In Mark's Gospel, he says to a man, I think we've preached it actually, I think there's the the version in Matthew. Um, He says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees mutter and moan and say, only God can, can forgive sins. And of course they're right. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, that's my point. That's who I am. I'm God. I'm fully God. Because only God can forgive those. And the flip side of that, the other side of that, is he's fully a man. I don't know. I love that I read that Jesus needed to go off and he needed to get into a quiet place and he needed to pray. And Jesus was tired and Jesus was hungry. And Jesus wept bitterly in Gethsemane. That Jesus was a man. That he relates to us. Hebrews 4.15, and this is important in thinking about the second question of why did Jesus come? It's important in thinking, well, some 2,000 years ago, what's this God becoming man got to do with me? Well, I think verses like Hebrews 4 really help us, really help to explain what it means for us today. What difference does Jesus coming 2,000 years ago make for you? We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. There's a great verse. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So what difference does it make for us? Why did Jesus come? Well, firstly, I think Jesus came to demonstrate that he's like us. That he's like you, that he's like me. That we have someone that we can go to. Someone who knows our weaknesses. Knows what it means to be tempted. In a world full of pain where you've got big, muscly blokes just like me in the toilet getting emotional. Obviously that was a joke. Um, I do get emotional though. But people that are full of pain and hurt and misery and downtrodden and broken... That actually there's someone we can go to. There's someone who actually has walked a harder path than we ever will. We know that, right? That yes, sometimes life is difficult and it is and it's hard and we can have pressures whether it's family or financial or our health or just life in general. But the beauty of the fact that Jesus came and is like us is we can't level at Jesus that he doesn't know. We can't say, God, you don't understand. God, you don't know what it feels like to be me. Actually, he does. Do you know what that does for me? That gives me great comfort and joy. That there's someone who is completely reliable. Someone who is completely for me. 
who knows what it's like, who understands, who gets it, who's actually walked a harder path than I ever will. He was crucified for the sins of the world. He was abused, he was beaten, he was mocked for me and for you to rescue us. And he did rescue us. And the beauty of that is we don't need to be perfect. Jesus doesn't wait and say, well, I'll just wait until you get everything right and you're perfect and you've made it and then we'll, we'll start thinking about what we're going to do. That actually takes us and, it, and he transforms us. And um, I'm going to show this video, I think, if that's all right, Andy. I'm looking at the time, but I want to show it. I don't know if you caught this a few, a couple of months ago. Was it a couple of months ago? Two, three months ago. Um, the Brownlee brothers who do triathlons, British athletes, they're phenomenal athletes, incredibly fit. And there's this one incident where Johnny Brownlee is winning the triathlon and he's a few hundred meters from home and he's going to win. And his brother, Alistair, who I believe is the Olympic gold medalist, we're good at triathlon, guys. That's good, isn't it? Um, comes around the corner, and I'll just let you watch it, and then I'm just going to pass comment. It's better than me coming up with a swimming illustration of this guy here helping me to swim for 400 lengths. But just watch this video, and then I'll explain. Now, Johnny has to win, and to be sure of taking the title. And right now, he seems to have lost control of his legs, and this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing. He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course and Alistair's stopped to help him along and Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my god, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes, unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third, but Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me, what an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel. Great, thank you. Amazing, isn't it? His brother pushing, I mean, he, the South African guy, what's he doing? He needs to stop, doesn't he, and let him have gold. But uh, amazing that Alistair doesn't take silver and he pushes him over so that his brother still gets the silver medal and Alistair gets the bronze. And it made me think a little bit, actually, we're a bit like Johnny Brownlee, aren't we? Except we haven't even started the race. The position he's in where he's knackered, he's broken, he's hurting. 
We think, well, you know, we're, we're, say the finish line is that we're with God and everything's great. Well, actually, we don't even start. And we're like that. We're broken. And yet, Jesus comes and takes us for the entire race. The one who's done it perfectly. The one who is like us and knows what it's like to be broken and hurting. And yet, grabs us and takes us to the finish line. What's the finish line? That we'll be with God forever. Except sometimes we feel like we need to run the race ourselves and we can make it to ourselves with God. Well, we can't. The reality is, unlike Johnny, we don't even start. And we need God's help from the get-go, don't we? But isn't it comforting? It is for me that he's like us. But at the same time, the flip side, that he's not like us. Because if he was just like us, if we had two Johnny Brownleys in that scenario, it wouldn't be much good for anybody, would it? Where's the one who's going to help? Where's the one who's going to carry? Where's the one who's going to show, actually, the way we're supposed to walk? And that's what Jesus does for us. And there's this great quote here from my mate Athanasius. He says, The Lord did not come to make a display. He came to heal and to teach suffering men. For one who wanted to make a display, the thing would have been to appear and to dazzle the beholders. But for him who came to heal and to teach the way was not merely to dwell here, but to put himself at the disposal of those who needed him. That's the beauty of what God does. He puts himself with us. He's like us, praise God, but he's not like us, praise God. That makes a huge impact for us. I thank God regularly that Jesus is not like me. Don't know if you do that. I mean, not for me. I mean, for yourself. That would be a bit awkward. But you say, oh, God, I'm so thankful that you walked this path, that actually Jesus walked in holiness. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be like Jesus, but I don't want Jesus to be like me. I want to be like Jesus. But I don't want to lower who Jesus is and Jesus' standards so that I think that I'm like him. I've got to attain to the things that he does in walking in holiness and in walking well before the Lord. Where Jesus was tempted, where we fall short, the author of Hebrews says he did not sin. That he didn't. He carried on straight and true. He was faithful. And last week I talked about, or last week or the week before, I talked about those verses from Matthew that Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless. And I said it was like Christmas shopping or putting up a Christmas tree now, I found out. That you feel harassed and you feel helpless. Well, you know what? I'm pretty sure Jesus would be fine in those situations. Jesus isn't harassed. Jesus isn't helpless. In fact, he's dependable and faithful because he walked in holiness. And that's the good news for us. That's why this... Christmas and Christmas is about Christ is so important because he came for us because we do fall short but when we do fall short we've ha- we have someone who didn't fall short for us who walked the path that we should have done who made it where we haven't made it and Jesus would turn to us and say look we don't just kind of you know skip and hold hands and everything's okay in fact actually there was a great cost to this I died for you. I love you. I forgive you. Now come with me. And he literally carries us like, like Alistair carried his brother, Johnny. And we can be forgiven. And that's the great thing about Christmas again. Why did Jesus come? 
Well, so that we'd be changed. So that you and I wouldn't be the same. Both from this point on and going forward for all eternity. That he brings peace, joy, love, grace, hope, healing, transformation. He came for those, us who are far off from God, to bring us near through his death and his resurrection. So that any one of us here, any single one of us, whatever we've done in our life, can connect with the Father. That's the beauty of Christmas. Every single one of us, there is always hope. We should never give up on hope. It's not about our works. It's not about pretending that we're running and we're making it on our own steam. It's not about what pleases us. It's not about what we get. It's about Jesus. And that's true for Christmas, that it's about him. We can have all the other stuff, and between you and me, I love it. Love the presents, love the turkey, love pigs in blankets. You name it, Christmas, apart from sprouts, I'm a big fan. But you know what I could do without all that if I just had Jesus? If I had a choice, just take him. Forget about the rest of it. And there's a question that I think we say this a lot, and I think it comes from here as well in terms of the fact that Jesus is not like us, is what does it mean for you to walk well with Jesus? What does it mean for you to please him, to walk well before him? What have you got to change? Where have we been detouring off and we've just got to come back? And the Christmas story, this amazing story of God entering in, should spur us on and remind us actually that we can change, that we can be different people because actually our trust isn't in ourselves, but it's in him. Maybe a great question to ask is, am I more like Jesus than I used to be? Am I more like Jesus than I used to be? And this is just my conclusion. You'll be pleased to know of, well, what does God accomplish? Why go to all those great lengths? Because they are great lengths, aren't they? Yeah? It wasn't rhetorical. They're great lengths, aren't they? (laughs) That God goes to in uh, doing what he does. A man coming, living a perfect life, dying a horrible death for us. Seriously, that's it. That's the incarnation. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's what God does. It actually ends on a cross. Well, actually, it doesn't end on a cross because he's raised to new life for us. And you know what that should bring from us? It should bring worship. It should bring glory to God. And Ultimately, that's what it's about. You see it in Luke, in the Christmas story, and the angels are there. And what do the angels say? They say something like, I haven't got my Bible open in front of me, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men who connect with God. I know it doesn't say that last bit, but that's the emphasis. It's glory to God that this birth of this promised Messiah would bring glory to God. And you know what? If we put our trust in him, if we, and maybe for the first time or the thousandth time, the millionth time, whatever, every single day we put our trust in him, it brings glory to God. We start living like Jesus, it brings glory to God, that his fame would grow, that people would hear of this God. Stories of testimony bring glory to God. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I open with that this morning. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's what God accomplishes. that he's magnified, that he's, he, he's not diminished. 
but he's famous and he's honored because he deserves it. Not because he needs it or he, you know, anything like that. He's not a needy God, but he deserves it. If he's the creator of the universe and he does these amazing things and he loves us and gives his son for us, then he deserves all honor and praise and adoration, doesn't he? He deserves it. And seriously for us, what's, what does God accomplish? Well, he accomplishes that he rescues people like me and he rescues people like you. That he loves us. That's what he accomplishes. Connecting with people that were far off. Coming as a baby to rescue us. And he comes for you and he comes for me. And I love this from Luke chapter 2. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. You know where it says unto you there? For unto you is born this day. Replace that with your name. Whatever your name is, put it into that sentence. So for me, for you, Dan, is born this day in the city of David, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. That's the beauty of Christmas. That for me, for you, Jesus did that. And yet it's about Christ, but it's about his glory and his honor and what he accomplishes. And this is what he accomplishes. And I'm going to just close this and then the band are going to come out. Revelation 21, verse 3. This is the end game. This is, I suppose, what we could say Christmas is all about. Why did God go to great lengths? Why the whole story? Why all of this at Christmas? And Christmas being about Christ for this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God.